Well, good morning. You glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. Uh, glad to have you here with us. Glad to have those of you who are online with us there on Facebook and on Twitter at HBC Tullahoma. YouTube is Highland Baptist Tullahoma, so be sure to tune in uh, to those. Welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. And if anyone needs that number, you can see me after the service or call our church office and we'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, if you're at home, we encourage you to go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab that you can download today's worship bulletin. If you didn't get one of these as you came in this morning, our ushers will be glad to come around and to give you one, or you can pick up one in the windowsills or at the door uh, anytime you want to. So be sure to get one of those, get that downloaded if you're at home. Uh, also under that info tab, you can download uh, the children's worship bulletins. If you need those in person, they're in the windowsill uh, over here to my right, to your left. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. And then while you're there uh, on that uh, website too, under the info tab, you can download this week's worship, I mean, uh, prayer list. So be sure to get that downloaded. Uh, there's quite a few that are on there we want to be praying for uh, and so we just want to remind you of all those things. Uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning so Brother Mike come and lead us in our first hymn of worship. Join us this morning as we sing 247 Come Thou Almighty King. Come Thou Almighty King. We'll sing the first, second, and fourth verse. <laughs> Amen. As we come to our missionary moment time, I draw your attention to your bulletin there. Uh, we are remembering Raphael Valter, who is serving in at the suburbs of Atlanta uh, in starting a Hispanic work there, Spanish-speaking people that he's trying to reach there with Iglesia Batista Agape, uh, the, the church that he's planted there. About 14 people have accepted Christ uh, through that church since it began in 2019. Uh, he, one of those was his own mother, uh, who he led to faith in Christ, and another woman 
one he met, uh, canvassing door to door throughout the community, uh, and was able to lead her to faith in Christ. But as with all churches across our uh, our nation and even around the world, uh, COVID-19 uh, really uh, hindered a lot of the the work there and caused a lot of challenges. So we just want to pray for them as they're still trying to get back into the groove there in reaching those Hispanic people there in the Atlanta suburbs. Uh, we want to pray for uh, Rafael Valter and his family, uh, especially this morning, as well as all of our missionaries. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful opportunity and privilege we have to come before your throne of grace this morning. And Father, we just come, first of all, confessing any sin that is in our hearts, uh, asking the Lord that you would forgive us and cleanse us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that blood that will never lose its power. And so, Father, I pray this morning that you would hear our prayers, especially on the behalf of our missionaries, and in particular, Raphael Valter, uh, who is serving there in Atlanta. Father, we just pray that you will uh, continue to help them by opening doors of opportunity and reaching out to the Hispanic people there uh, in the suburb where they're ministering. And Father, I just pray that you will uh, just bless them, keep them protected, keep them safe, keep them healthy. Uh, but Father, we just pray for your blessings upon the church there. Thank you for those souls who have been saved, and we expectantly look forward to the great and thing, mighty things that are going to happen in the days ahead in and through that church. We uplift all of our missionaries to you and ask a blessing upon each one of them as they're gathering also uh, for worship all around this nation and around the world today. We ask God that you will bless them in a great and mighty way. We pray, God, that you will bless us as we come to worship you. Lord, sometimes we come with, with, with burdens and cares upon us that sometimes can distract us from hearing your voice. So I just pray, God, we'll lay all that aside, put it at the foot of the cross, let you take care of all of those situations in our lives. And we just ask God for you to speak into our hearts this morning. Give us the encouragement we need. Give us the guidance that we need that if there are those who are here or watching online who don't know Christ as their Lord and their Savior, may today be the day of salvation for them. And for those who are saved, may we be encouraged, Lord, to make the most of the opportunities we have in the remaining days that we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, let me just remind you, too, uh, you can do your giving in your envelopes. The white envelope is for your regular offerings. The pink envelopes, if you'll see those around in windowsills, are for a golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Uh, we still are seeking to reach uh, that goal uh, for the golden offering for Tennessee Missions. Uh, we're at uh, 3,867, uh, about 1,200 short, a little less than 1,200 short of our goal there of 5,000. So I want to encourage you uh, to give towards that. I don't know if I mentioned that last Sunday, but I did Wednesday night, I believe, uh, that our, in our, for our golden offering, our Tennessee Baptist Mission Board uh, sent us a, uh, an award this uh, past two weeks ago uh, that we are in the top 10%, not top 10% per capita, but top 10% in all giving for the, for the golden offering for Tennessee Missions for last year. And so we definitely want to reach uh, that goal again uh, this year. And so I encourage you to pray about giving towards our Tennessee missions. Let me just say a few quick things. Uh, some of these are in your bulletin, some are not. Uh, trunk or treat is coming up next week. Uh, not this week, but the following week. Uh, so we do have sign-up sheets. I think we have about eight who are signed up so far to help us with vehicles. We could use about four more uh, if you could help us with that uh, to just decorate a vehicle and hand out candy uh, out of the back of the vehicle. Uh, there are other ways that you can be involved. You can bring some candy to donate. We have a box out here in the hallway that you can drop that off anytime during the week. Uh, 
and then also uh, there are other ways you can help with serving food, serving hot chocolate, uh, directing traffic, security, all kinds of things, just talking with the people uh, who show up with their families. So I want to encourage you to be here for that and to help us uh, with that. Also down the hallway on the missions board, we have our Operation Christmas Child uh, working at the Processing Center sign-up sheets. Uh, we're going to be in Atlanta uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving and then December the 10th. There's two different times on December the 10th, but we'll be going down as one group. So I want to encourage you to sign up on those. Uh, we have about one more week that we're going to leave that open for just our church, and then we'll be opening it up to some other churches uh, who are interested in going uh, also. So if you want to make sure you get in on that, uh, please do that. And then don't forget next Sunday, you'll hear some more things about next Sunday uh, in our announcements at the end, but next Sunday night is going to be our fifth Sunday sing. And so it's always a wonderful uh, thing to come out for, but if you have not let us know yet, let myself or Brother Mike know uh, that you would like to sing on the fifth Sunday night sing, uh, and we'll get you into the program there. Uh, that's going to be for our evening service uh, next Sunday night, so uh, get that word to us. We'll get that. You come out and enjoy it's going to be a wonderful time of worship. Brother Mike. Just a few instructions <clears throat> for this next hymn, since it's not one that's probably as familiar as a lot of the other ones. Miss Pat is going to play through it one time, and Tommy's already uh, aware that the words on the screen, so not only you can see it and sing through it a little bit as we're playing, as Pat's playing it, but also those at home can also hear the, the the rhythm and the music, and, and then we'll follow straight back in with the first verse again. The choir will stand at that moment, not now, <laughs> and you won't sing on the first verse. That's the first time she's going through. So, Miss Pat.
next reminder, Children's Church will be gathering on the piano side. Our next hymn is 202, as we all stand and praise our Lord. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 14 through verse 54. We're not going to read every verse uh, through there, but there is another parallel verse that you'll find over in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22 through verse 37. We are going to look uh, just briefly at a few of those verses, but primarily we're going to be here in Luke 11, verse 14 to 54, and we're going to begin with verse 14 down through verse 16. I've entitled this message this morning, The Power of of God, because that's what's at issue here in these verses that Jesus is addressing uh, with the people around him. So let's stand as we read God's word in honor of his word, Luke chapter 11, verse 14 down through verse 16. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we come to you in prayer this morning, I pray that you'll make yourself known to us and that you will show us your mighty power through Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for what you did in sending him to come and to live that perfect sinless life in our behalf, uh, to die on the cross and, and face that cruel punishment that we deserved. And yet then, Father, to be buried and rise on, from the grave on the third day so that we could have eternal life. Thank you for that free gift of salvation that you've given to us. I pray this morning, Lord, that your word would be very clear to us, that you will speak to us in our hearts, that if there are those who are lost, uh, they will see the gospel. If there are those, Lord, of us who are here who are saved, which we know there are, uh, they will be encouraged in their walk to, to remain faithful and be ever more vigilant in their walk with you. So bless your word this morning. May it go forth and not return void. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. As we said, this whole passage is getting at the very heart of who Jesus is. Is Jesus just a good moral man? Is he just a prophet? Is he an earthly king, an earthly Messiah? Or is he God? Now, Matthew's gospel, in Matthew's gospel, after Jesus healed a demon-oppressed man here who was both blind and mute, the crowds responded by saying this question, is not this the son of David. And so you can already begin to see their wheels are turning in their heads and, and they're thinking uh, he's just human flesh and blood. How could he possibly be God who he is professing to be? Uh, they wanted to know if Jesus was the Messiah. And so we're going to learn several truths here about the power of God that shows us who Jesus is. Here's the first thing I want you to see this morning is this unreasonable accusation, an unreasonable accusation. You see this in verse 14 down through verse 19. We just read verse 14 through verse 16, and, and we come there as they uh, had said in verse 15, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Well, the question there enraged the Pharisees. The question that was raised uh, here by Jesus as we go on to read, it says, but he knowing their thoughts said to them this, in verse 17, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will this kingdom stand? He says, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. And so when Jesus asked those questions, that just infuriated those Pharisees. It caused them to begin to make outlandish accusations that Jesus was performing miracles by the power of the devil. He casts out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And that was such an unreasonable accusation that Jesus addresses it on two primary levels. First, he points out that it's illogical. I mean, after all, why would the devil cast demons out? The devil wants demons to stay in, uh, destroying uh, everything around them. And so it, it would be, uh, that would be like him casting himself out, destroying his own work. And Jesus says a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. And so the second flaw that Jesus points out is found there in verse 19 uh, about the Pharisees' accusation is that it's an inconsistent accusation. 
He says, because if casting out demons were a demonic activity, then he says, why didn't the Pharisees criticize their own followers who were casting out demons? If that's what casting out demons is. And he says, these sons of the Pharisees, that's likely a reference uh, to their followers who claim to have cast out demons. And we know from other places in the gospel that there were people who, who were not followers of Jesus who cast out demons. And so Jesus points out the inconsistency uh, of all of this. And that leads us to an undeniable conclusion that you see in verse 20 down through verse 23. And so first and foremost, he, he's saying here, this isn't by the power of Satan. And if it isn't by the power of Satan, then it has to be by the power of God. Look at verse 20, if you will. He says, but if it is the finger of God, by the finger of God that I cast out demons, or the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so he's saying, Jesus is saying, if, if I, he's saying, if casting out demons isn't by the power of the devil, that would be illogical and inconsistent, then there's only one other possibility that he's casting out demons by the finger of God or by the spirit of God, which means the kingdom of God has come upon you. So in other words, you have to deal with this reality. I am God in the flesh here before you. And, and so more specifically what he's saying is the king is here. Not just an earthly king, but the heavenly king. That also leads to another undeniable conclusion which, Satan, which Jesus points out, that the one who is stronger than Satan is here. Because Jesus claimed that he was tying up the strong man. Look at verse 21 and verse 22. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. And so what Jesus is saying is, I am the one who's stronger than Satan, and he is overthrowing Satan's house, this temporary domain that he rules in. If you want to know the end of the story, on Wednesday nights we've been going through the book of Revelation, and when you look at Revelation, Jesus wins. And by Jesus winning, we win. Uh, Jesus is stronger than Satan, and he is overthrowing uh, the devil in, in his temporary rule here on this earth. Now, the book of Matthew and the book of Luke make this point repeatedly. Jesus is healing people of diseases. We've seen all kinds of miracles that we've looked at already. We've seen that he's been delivering people from demons. He's been raising people from the dead. He's forgiving people of sins. Remember the accusation that they make of him with that. Only God can forgive sins, and yet you're trying to forgive sins because he's God. And all of these things are shouting just one reality. There is one who is here that is stronger than the devil. What an encouragement that is to those of us who are believers. That no matter what the devil throws at you, no matter how wicked this world may be, there is one who is stronger than the devil, and that is Jesus Christ. So you ought to trust in him. That leads us to our third point in this section, is that Jesus reveals the kingdom, and we see this third undeniable conclusion that being neutral towards Jesus is impossible. Because look at what he goes on to say in verse 23. He says, here's the argument, I've laid it out before you. And he says this, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so what Jesus was saying 
He was saying this to the Pharisees, but it applies to us also. He, we also have to decide where do we view Jesus? Is, is, is he evil, which leads to prideful opposition, or, or else that he's good and that he's God? Which one is he? Which means that we have to follow him wholeheartedly. Is he just a man, just a prophet, or is he God in the flesh? The fact that we have to be either for or against Jesus leads us into his discussion when you flip over to Matthew's gospel in the same section as we're trying to follow as best we can chronologically through the life of Jesus. It leads us to the unforgivable sin. What is the unforgivable sin? Well, if you look over to Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 31 through verse 37, Matthew adds that section here uh, in, this, in the, the events that are happening. And so we're going to address it here rather than where Luke does. Luke addresses it in Luke chapter 12. Uh, there's, this is one of the most misunderstood and, and misinterpreted passages in all of the Bible. And, and given the seriousness of Jesus' words, it's essential that we understand them rightly. So he's already laid out the argument uh, that you've said that I've been casting out these demons by the power of Beelzebub, by, by the power of the devil. That's absurd. You have a choice. You either choose to believe in me as the Messiah, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, or you choose to reject me. Either you're on my side or you're against me. And, and that leads into this unforgivable sin here because notice what verse 31 and verse 32 say in Matthew's gospel in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, it says this in verse 31 and verse 32, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. And so that, as we said, has led to all kinds of misinterpretations, misunderstanding there. Uh, because it is a serious passage that we need to understand. What's he talking about? And so a right interpretation begins by looking at these verses in light of the overall biblical context and then in the specific context. So in terms of the broader context, we know from Scripture that God is a forgiving God. Uh, the reality is all over the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can go back to Exodus chapter 34 uh, and verse 6 and verse 7 that says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He is a forgiving God. He is the God who forgave Adam. Uh, and Eve in the garden. He, he's the God who forgave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God who forgave Moses. He's the God who forgave Israel and King David and countless others throughout the Old Testament. God even forgave his people for, for all kinds of terrible and rebellious sins. When you look at the New Testament, you see the same thing because as forgiveness is extended to people like Matthew. Remember who Matthew was? He was a tax collector. Uh, he, he was uh, viewed on the outside. In fact, he was probably a thief skimming off the top. And as sinners, uh, as well as uh, anti-Christian terrorists, if you will, people like Paul, uh, who was against Christians, who was killing Christians, and yet Jesus 
forgives him. And so understand that God's grace and God's compassion are always consistent themes throughout the scripture. So, so when you keep that character of God in mind in the overall context of scripture, come back down to these verses. Jesus is speaking to these Pharisees here who are showing themselves to be completely opposed to Jesus. They were saying that Jesus' works were not through the power of the Spirit, but through the power of Satan. You're not of God, you're of the devil, is what they were saying about it. And that's why the context here helps us to better understand why Jesus uses the term blasphemy here instead of the more common term sin. So understand this, to, to blaspheme is to speak against or to slander, and that's what the Pharisees were doing. Uh, so with that in mind, uh, let's look at two aspects of Jesus' words here in Matthew chapter 12, as well as when you look back to Luke uh, in chapter 12 and verse 8 through verse 10. So let, let's just read the verses in Luke, since that's probably where most of you are there. If you'll stay there, we'll continue there. Luke chapter 12 uh, and verse 8 through verse 10 simply says, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man who also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now we read those verses in verse 31 and 32 back in Matthew's gospel. You see the similarity there in Luke chapter 12 and verse 8 through verse 10. Notice that Jesus says that blasphemy against the Son, against Jesus, is forgivable. Uh, and the avenue to forgiveness is repentance. You can see that in Matthew's gospel where he says, and whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Luke 12 verse 10 he says in verse 10 there, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And so understand that Jesus will graciously pardon those who, who deny and mock him because we see this all over the New Testament. Uh, you see Peter. Remember Peter? Uh, Peter was told by Jesus, he said, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me three times. Peter said, no way. I, there's no way I'm going to die. You know, there are some of us who are here this morning uh, who may be so bold as, as Peter to say, there's no way I would deny you. But yet, so often, by our very actions, we're denying Jesus. And, and so uh, there was Peter who, who was forgiven when he denied Jesus. Uh, Paul tells us this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14. Though Speaking about himself and giving his testimony, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So there's Paul who says, I blasphemed against the Lord Jesus, and yet he forgave me for my sin. Now there's a sense in which all of us who are here this morning, those of you who are watching here this morning, are guilty of blasphemy. Because we deny Christ by our silence, we deny Christ by our cowardice, we slander him by questioning his goodness toward us. Thankfully, all of those sins are forgivable by God's grace. He'll forgive blasphemy against the Son for those who repent of their sins. 
But notice he says this, second, second, blasphemy against the Spirit of God is unforgivable because the avenue to forgiveness is rejected. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But if you reject the Spirit of God who's speaking to your heart the truth of the gospel, then there's no more opportunity for you. Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, read those verses again with me. It says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Jesus is speaking here to people who He knows were in serious danger, if not already guilty of hardening their hearts completely against Him. And so in, in attributing the work of the Holy Spirit... To the person of Satan, they're saying, you're not doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're casting out these demons by the person of Satan. They were setting themselves in total opposition to the Spirit of God. The only one who could draw them to salvation through repentance. They were rejecting the very thought of repentance. And that kind of sin involves willful unbelief. It involves a persistent rebellion, a final denial. It, it's worth considering that each, each of these aspects of sin, uh, of this sin further. The Pharisees, think about this. They had seen Jesus do these miracles. They had seen people who were blind receive their sight. They had heard, seen people who were deaf receive their hearing once again. They had seen every kind of, of healing, of every kind of disease. They had seen him cast out all kinds of demons, forgiving all kinds of sin. And yet they chose to charge Jesus with deceit and demonism. Theirs was a willful unbelief. So in the face of the undeniable evidence of Jesus' deity and his Messiahship, they were rejecting what they were seeing. They were rejecting him. They didn't reject the Spirit's work in, in Jesus' life and in ministry for lack of evidence, but rather because of a lack of humility. They were also guilty of an ongoing pattern of sin, and, and not just a spur-of-the-moment thing. You read this all throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, over and over. They're accusing Jesus over and over. And they have this persistent rebellion that refuses to submit regardless of what Jesus said or regardless of what Jesus did. I want to say this morning, there are some who are here, some who may be watching online, you have seen the power of God demonstrated over and over and over and over again, and you refuse to believe. You refuse to accept that that's of God. You, you want to find some other way to explain the things uh, that you see happening uh, around you. It's a persistent rebellion, and that persistent rebellion leads to a final denial. Theirs was a permanent denial of the work of the Spirit in the Son of Man, and that leads to a permanent condemnation. Here's what Jesus says about this sin again in, in verse 32 of Matthew 12. He says, that you will not be forgiven. If you speak against the Son of Man, you will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. One commentator described the Pharisees like this. He said, for repentance they substituted hardening. For confession, 
plotting. Thus, by means of their own criminal and completely inexcusable callousness, they are dooming themselves. You know, sometimes people you'll hear will question, why does God send people to hell? He doesn't. We do by our own choice. When we choose to reject the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives, their sin was unpardonable because they were unwilling to follow the path that leads to salvation. Think about this. For a thief, an adulterer, a murderer, there is hope. The message of the gospel may at some point cause them to cry out, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But when a person has become so hardened that they've made up their mind not to pay any attention to the promptings of the Spirit, not even to listen to the pleadings in their heart and the warning of His voice, then they have placed themselves on the road that leads to eternal punishment. They have sinned the sin unto death that John talks about in his letter of 1 John chapter 5, verse 16 and verse 17, where he says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin, not sins, but there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. In the end, no one can be saved if you pridefully and permanently reject the Spirit of God. Because as we said, it's the Spirit who draws us to salvation. It's the Spirit who leads us to repentance and applies God's forgiveness. And when you reject the Spirit, that's it. When you reject the Son, uh, you dare not reject His testimony of the Son, uh, of the Spirit of the Son. And so even as we consider the danger of the blasphemy of the Son and the Spirit, you have to uh, be careful not to completely disconnect the two from one another because ultimately to reject the Spirit is finally to reject the Son. And so as 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And so you have to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. If you reject the Holy Spirit, you ultimately are rejecting the Son, and you're rejecting the Father. And so here's a couple of unforgettable reminders for us uh, when we come back to look at, at these verses here. In, in Matthew's Gospel, uh, you'll see there in Matthew, in chapter 11 uh, and verse 33, or chapter 12, verse 33, and through verse 37, he gives us a couple of powerful reminders here. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. 
And so here are those two unforgettable reminders that he gives us. First is this, that we have to avoid labeling anybody as guilty of the unforgivable sin. Because I don't know your heart. Only God knows your heart. The reality is that in all of our hearts, there is a time when we rejected the work of the Spirit. All of us at one time were opposed to Christ and His Spirit. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, at some point in your life, you accepted the message of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You accepted the message of the gospel and you received that. But before that, you were rejecting it over and over. And so all of us at one time were opposed to Christ and His Spirit. And yet God patiently pursued us. Matthew tells us that Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees. Uh, you see that in Luke eleven seventeen. 17. Uh, you see that also uh, here in these verses where uh, he, he, he knew their thoughts in verse 25 of Matthew 12. And so he knew their thoughts in a way that we don't. So we need to be slow to make judgments on somebody's spiritual condition. We trust that God alone knows a person's heart. So who are we to say that a person has committed that willful unbelief? So sometimes we want to think, well, has that person committed the unpardonable sin? Has that person committed the unpardonable sin? I don't have the capability to make that judgment because I don't truly know their heart. Could they be in sin, falling away from, falling away from the Lord and be safe? Sure. But are they, have they committed the unpardonable sin? So who am I to say that? Only God can know if they have rejected that final uh, opportunity that the Spirit uh, has invited them to repent. Because God has enab enabled us to see it perfectly into people's hearts. We, we work and we pray with a constant hope that God will soften even the hardest of hearts uh, and that He will save even the most prideful of sinners. Sometimes Christians wonder if they themselves, sometimes we wonder, have I committed that unforgivable sin. And based on all that we see in this passage, it's pretty safe to conclude that if you're worried about having committed the sin, then you're showing by your concern that you haven't fully and finally rejected the Spirit's testimony. And so some people, when you look at the unpardonable sin, have labeled suicide as the unpardonable sin. I can't tell you the number of times uh, that I've heard that or other particular sins as ultimately unforgivable. But this passage doesn't teach that. Blasphemy against the Spirit of God is unforgivable because the avenue to forgiveness, which is repentance, has been thoroughly and completely rejected. The second reminder in this passage that we see in verse 33 down to verse 37 is we need to realize that the unforgivable sin is primarily a sin of the heart, not of the lips. Because notice what he was talking there. He's saying either make the tree good or the tree uh, bad. It's fruit and it's fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. He says you can't have it both ways. And so he says, as you go on to read in verse 34, he said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so blasphemy involves speaking against the Spirit of God so that, so that causes people to wonder, have I ever said something against the Spirit of God? Well, Jesus spoke of a principle that we see all over Scripture. Our words, as he says here even, reveals our heart. So the unforgivable sin isn't ultimately about what's spoken, but rather about what lies underneath what has been spoken. A heart that rejects humble repentance speaks like the Pharisees and, and reveals a dangerous condition in your heart. It's a sobering reality to think that what we say 
and what we don't say is a reflection of what's in our hearts. You ever thought about that? What you say or what you don't say is a reflection of your hearts. Jesus says in verse 33 there that a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And so the fruit that pours from our lips is evidence of what lies in our hearts. To put it another way, faith results in good works, which includes good words. And that truth goes back to the reality that Jesus is the power of God. He changes us so that what we believe actually makes a difference in terms of the words we speak. He, he doesn't just change our mouth. He doesn't just change the outside, he changes the inside. So that our actions with our hands, our, our places we go with our feet, the things we listen to with our ears, the very words that we speak come from the heart relationship with Jesus Christ. It makes sense then for Paul to describe salvation as he does in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and verse 10, where he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Notice he doesn't just leave it there. There's a lot of people who've confessed with their mouth Jesus is Lord, but they never really believed it in their heart. Paul says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, not with the mouth, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And that leads us to our final point that Jesus wants to make here in Luke's Gospel and in Matthew's, if you look at both of these parallel passages, about the urgency of the opportunities we have. Uh, look back to Luke chapter 11, verse 29, down through verse 36. And, and Jesus kind of concludes this section and gives us three illustrations that show the serious, uh, seriousness of the spiritual opportunities that God gives. Now understand, Jesus wasn't impressed with the big crowds because he knew what was in their hearts. The disciples were impressed with the big crowds. And when people started leaving and not following Jesus, they started getting worried. And so in order to keep these 12 from being swayed by success, Jesus gave them some insights into what was really happening as they ministered the Word. He uses three illustrations to show the seriousness of the spiritual opportunities. We all have spiritual opportunities. Some of you have had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You've heard the gospel over and over and over and over, and you've still yet to respond. Others... You've heard the gospel message. You've responded to salvation. But then God has been speaking to your heart to serve him in his kingdom work. And you keep hearing that voice and you keep putting it off. And you keep hearing that voice and you keep making excuses why you can't serve. So here's the illustrations that he gives about the seriousness of spiritual opportunities. The first is the illustration of Jonah. You'll notice this in verse 29 and verse 30 of Luke chapter 11. He says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Now, would that describe our generation? I think so. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. 
And, and so the leaders had kept asking Jesus for a sign to prove that he was the Messiah. And the only promise that he made was the sign of Jonah the prophet, which was his death, burial, and resurrection. Why? Because it's the resurrection of Jesus that proves he's the Messiah, that proves he is the Son of God. And, and that's the very thing that Peter used to preach to Israel on the day of Pentecost. Notice the witness uh, of the early church was centered on Christ's resurrection. So Jonah was a living miracle, and so is our Lord Jesus. Now Matthew goes in a little bit further to explain that particular uh, vision, that particular illustration there, but that's the point of it, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He says, I am the miracle standing before you. I'm the only thing you need. You don't need another miracle. You've seen miracles, and you refuse to accept them. The only miracle you need to receive is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second illustration he gives is that of Solomon. Look at verse 31. He says, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And so the emphasis here is on the wisdom of a king, not the works of a prophet. The queen of Sheba had traveled many miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon. But here is the very Son of God who's in their midst and they won't even believe the words that he's speaking to them. Even if Jesus had performed a sign, it wouldn't have changed their hearts. They needed the living wisdom of God, but they were content with their stale religious tradition. The important thing about these illustrations is that they involve Gentiles. When Jonah preached to the Gentiles in Nineveh, what did they do? They repented, and they were spared. When a Gentile queen heard Solomon's wisdom, she marveled, the Scripture tells us, and believed. What he's saying here is that if the Jews, with all of their privileges, having brought forth the very Messiah that they, they so desired, if they didn't repent, then the people of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba would bear witness against them in the last judgment. God had given Israel so many opportunities, and yet they wouldn't believe. I wonder how many opportunities he's given you. And I wonder how many times you've rejected. But then he gives us a third illustration, and that's the illustration of light. Notice verse 33 through verse 36. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who, who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp, when, it ray, when its rays gives you light. So this illustration was from just daily living that they could understand and not from history uh, like Jonah was or like the Queen of Sheba was. And it was one Jesus had used before that God's word is a light that shines in this dark world. But it's not enough that the light is shining on us externally. It has to enter into our lives and shine in us and through us before it can be any good. Psalm 119, verse 130 says, The unfolding of your word gives light. 
It imparts understanding to the simple. And so understand this, the brightest sun cannot make a blind man see. But when we trust in Jesus, our eyes are opened and the light shines in and we become children of the light. The important thing is that we take advantage of that light and we have a single outlook of faith in the, in the one who is the author of our faith. We keep one eye on the things of God and the other eye on the things of this world and that light will begin to turn into darkness. You cannot have it both ways. And yet so often we desire to do that. Three men in the Bible illustrate this truth. They began in light and ended up in darkness because they were double-minded. Remember Samson? Samson means sunny, and yet he ended up a blind slave in a dark dungeon because he fell to the lust of flesh. You remember Lot in the Old Testament? Lot began as a pilgrim uh, following with his uncle Abraham, and he ended as a drunk in a cave committing incest because he fell to the lust of the eyes. Lot wanted to serve two masters. He wanted to look in two directions. You think about King Saul in the Old Testament. He began his reign as a humble leader, but pride began to enter him when he went to the witch's cave and he died of suicide on the field of battle. His was the sin of the pride of life. He would not humble himself and obey the will of God. Every one of us is either controlled by the light or by the darkness. And the frightening thing is, is that some people have so hardened themselves against the Lord that they can't even tell the difference. They, they think that they're following the light when in reality they're following the darkness. That, that's what Jesus was speaking to these Pharisees. He was saying, you're the religious people. You're the people that everybody looks up to and, and, and you think you're saved. You think you're following the light. They proclaim to see the light as they studied the law. And yet in reality, they were living in darkness. The question is, where are you? Are you in the light this morning? Or are you in the darkness? There was an unreasonable accusation that led to undeniable conclusions that revealed the unforgivable sin, but we're reminded of the urgency of the opportunities we have. God gives us opportunity after opportunity, and here is one more opportunity for you to come this morning. The question is, will you respond by faith to Jesus Christ? Don't let those opportunities pass you by, because here is the subtle truth. One day those opportunities will come to an end. And no longer will you be able to respond by faith to receive Christ. It will be over. Don't let that day be today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage that we have read and this discussion Jesus had with the Pharisees. Father, to open our eyes and our hearts to the truth and the reality of the opportunities that many who are here this morning and those who are watching online have had over and over and over. Lord, I don't know and pretend to know when somebody's last opportunity is going to come. It could come for any of us at any moment, at any time, at any day with just the knock of death on our door. It could come because we have hardened ourselves so much to the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our heart that finally we have crossed that line, that there's no more opportunity. 
Father, I pray that we would not commit that unforgivable sin by rejecting once again the call of the Holy Spirit in our hearts to salvation. Lord, I pray for those who maybe have struggled in their hearts to, and, and thinking about, have I committed that? Maybe by my words or, or something, Lord, I pray that they would know in their hearts this morning that if that is their concern, then there is a work of the Holy Spirit still going on in their hearts and they have not yet passed that threshold. So Father, I pray that they would come by faith this morning. Lord, there are others who are believers who are here this morning. And I pray, God, that we have seen that we have had opportunity after opportunity to make a difference for Christ in this world. Lord, I pray that none of us would, would come to the end of our lives regretting, thinking, I wish I had done this. I wish I had obeyed the Lord back there. Lord, help us to realize we don't have anything that we can do to undo the past decisions we've made. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. We just have this moment, this day that we're in. So help us, Lord, to accept that call now, to respond to your call upon our hearts and say, Lord, right now, I'm gonna serve you. Right now, whatever it is you want me to do, I'm gonna be faithful to you. And Lord, I pray that we would respond out of the heart of the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is our salvation. Help us, Lord, to honor him by our very actions. Bless us this morning in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us. Number 296, Jesus is Lord of all. As you stand, would you come this morning to receive Christ, to join our fellowship, or maybe simply to pray, would you come this morning?
Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Brother Rick, if you'll come and share announcements. Just a couple of quick announcements. Um, birthday party for Jesus this year is going to be moved to uh, December 17th instead of December 10th for the um, since we're going to Operation Christmas Child on the 10th. Um, Laura's going to be out of town. She usually heads that up. Um, so she'll need some help having somebody else fill in and lead that for that day. So if you're interested in that, um, come see Laura or Pastor Jim, and they'll kind of fill you in on um, how you can uh, serve there. Um, remember, there's no evening service tonight um, since we're going to uh, the other church um, for that uh, service there. Um, keep in mind, uh, fifth dun Sunday dinner uh, meeting next week. Um, the church is going to bring turkey and ham. Or, yeah, that's next week. Um, so bring some sides and dessert and have some good fellowship there. Um, and that there will also be a special called business meeting next week um, to take care of a couple of things um, to approve our uh, volunteer list and to um, vote on approving additional funds for the uh, upgrades to the parsonage. A um, couple of paracuts to keep in mind. Um, Jack Doubt is getting some shots in his back and that's coming up. Don't really know when, but keep him in your prayers. Um, keep the family of James Johnson and Sandy Sims in your prayers um, for their passing for both of those. And um, Kay Fox, uh, had a, her surgery went well, but she has some rehab coming up, so uh, keep her in your prayers with that. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear gracious Lord, our Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this time to uh, come worship you. We thank you so much for the message that you've given us today, and we ask you to help us use that and be that light of Jesus Christ as we go out into our community here. Um, we just ask you to forg forgive us where we fail you, Lord, and bring us back to your house each and every week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. 